Okay, welcome back to Healthspan. This is part one of Drop Acid by Dr. David Perlmutter. This book is not about LSD, but instead uric acid. You may have heard of uric acid in terms of gout, but in this book, Dr. David Perlmutter is going to illustrate to you how uric acid is implicated in many other diseases, including hypertension, diabetes, NAFLD, Alzheimer's disease, and much more. To begin, I need to talk to you about what uric acid is and where it comes from. Uric acid is a metabolite or breakdown product of something called a purine. When you look at the structure of DNA, DNA is a polymer of nucleotides, and those nucleotides are made up of three different components, a sugar, a phosphate group, and a base. Now those bases are either purines or pyrimidines. So uric acid is a breakdown of those purines, which comes from DNA. Alexander Haig was a doctor who experimented on himself, and he documented tremendous health improvements after he went on a diet designed to drop his uric acid levels. In the late 1800s, he eliminated meat to really help kind of quench his migraines, which he had been suffering for years. Meat, as you will learn, contains high amounts of purines, and there's other things that contain a lot of purines as well, like seafoods and alcohol. So this guy, Dr. Haig, ultimately came to the conclusion that a vast array of common diseases, like the ones I mentioned earlier, may be implicated in uric acid. And Haig, in fact, is credited for being one of the first physicians to link a high uric acid level to hypertension. And he wrote this in his book in 1892 called Uric Acid as a Factor in the Causation of Disease. So again, I'm just laying the, the, the foundation of uric acid and, and this guy, Dr. Haig, and he was saying that if his premises are good and his deductions are sound, and if uric acid really influences the circulation to the extent which he has led to believe that it does, it follows that uric acid really dominates the function, nutrition, and structure of the human body to an extent which has never seen or never yet been dreamed of in our philosophy. So all the way back in 1892, he's making these assumptions that there is some sort of correlation between uric acid and hypertension, diabetes, and some of these other diseases. So I just wanted to give a brief history about uric acid, and we've made a lot of headway, or, yeah, headway since, since this guy in, in 1892. And this was thanks to mainly Rick Johnson. So in 1999, more recently, Dr. Rick Johnson, who was a researcher at the University of Florida, uh, College of Medicine, he led his own studies to see if raising uric acid levels with a drug would also raise blood pressure or harm the kidney kidney function. Just a few years previously, he'd shown that subtle kidney injuries in rats could cause high blood pressure, a finding that stunned him and his colleagues. This experiment led them to conduct a series of further studies revealing that uric acid levels in rats cause high blood pressure in two different ways. So the first way that uric acid causes hypertension or high blood pressure is that high uric acid sets off a cascade of biochemical reactions collectively called oxidative stress, which help constrict blood vessels. In turn, blood pressure rises as the heart is forced to pump harder to circulate blood. But lowering uric acid reverses this effect. Second, when there's an unrelenting surplus of uric acid, lasting injury and inflammation in the kidneys can occur, which makes them less able to do their job and excrete salt.
So when uric acid, when you have high amounts of uric acid, you're creating a lot of inflammation. This inflammation is preventing the kidney from doing its job. It's going to be holding on to a lot of salt, so a lot of salt retention. And this salt retention further contributes to rising blood pressure. As that extra salt in the bloodstream pulls water into your blood vessels, increasing the total amount of volume of blood inside them. And with more blood flowing through your blood vessels, the pressure inside them increases, just as it does in a garden hose when it's turned on high. So we're seeing salt retention, we're seeing oxidative stress, and both of these are contributing to hypertension. Again, this is all caused by uric acid, the metabolite of a purine. In 2008, Johnson did an experiment on humans to see this association between hypertension and uric acid. He measured the acid in obese adolescents who had been recently diagnosed with hypertension. To his astonishment, full, fully 90% of them had elevated uric acid. He and, his, he and his team then proceeded to treat 30 of the patients with allopurinol, which is a drug that helps lower uric acid by blocking an enzyme called xanthine oxidase. So we're blocking the production of uric acid with allopurinol. And it's important to know that the drug restored blood pressure to normal in 85% of the adolescents simply by lowering uric acid. So again, this was a study done in 2008. People with uh, obesity had high amounts of uric acid. They took allopurinol and their blood pressure returned to normal. Evolutionarily speaking, we had an enzyme named uricase that converted uric acid to other substances. However, we have lost this enzyme over time. So what happened with uricase and why did we lose it? Put simply, the genes that encode uricase developed mutations that stopped our distant ancestors and us from making this enzyme at all, the uricase enzyme. Uric acid is implicated in storing fat and using it for fuel. So I'm going to get into great detail about fat storage versus fat burning and how uric acid is implicated in this. But just remember that uric acid is needed to store fat. So this was, it was a dicey evolutionary compromise. Cut the function of uricase gene to allow more efficient energy storage, less risk of starvation, and ultimately better chance of survival. So again, go, go 20,000, 30,000 years back. We were foraging for food. We went days without food. So we needed uric acid to not only keep our blood pressure normal, but also to help us store fat and save it for later because food was extremely scarce back then. Now, quickly speaking, fructose is particularly offensive because, as you'll see later on, it's been shown to have an incredibly uh, a huge effect on flipping this kind of switch and causing the body to hoard fat and raise blood sugar and blood pressure directly through the function or through the action of uric acid. So briefly, fructose generates uric acid as the body metabolizes it. And without uricase to break all that uric acid down easily, that fat switch stays in the on mode and fructose gets turned into fat. Again, much more detail to come later. In a larger study conducted in Japan in 2020, which followed more than half a million people be between the ages of 40 and 74 over the course of seven years, Researchers looked at the association between uric acid in the blood and both cardiovascular and all-cause mortality. They found that, a, quote, a significant increase in the hazard ratio for all-cause mortality was noted with serum uric acid levels greater than 7 in men and greater than 5 in women. 
a similar trend was observed for cardiovascular mortality. So ideally, you want to keep your uric acid under 5.5 to reduce the risk of getting not only cardiovascular disease, but also all-cause mortality. So if you are obese, if you have some of these high uric acid levels, go ahead and talk to your doctor and ask them to order a uric acid level. It's very important to keep uric acid under 5.5 for, again, not only cardiovascular benefits, but also reducing all-cause mortality. Uric acid, as I said before, is also associated with NAFLD, or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Again, uric acid is designed to increase fat storage in the liver cells and throughout our body. And again, I'm gonna, this is just a brief introduction. This is part one. I'm going to get into great detail about fat storage, hypertension, and all that much later. Now, one of the underlying forces connecting all these conditions that I mentioned, diabetes, Alzheimer's, obesity, hypertension, is that there's sort of this underlying inflammation going on. And uric acid, as you will see, is implicated in increasing the inflammation, increasing the oxidative stress, and actually using, you can actually use uric acid as a marker for inflammation. Studies are underway that chart parallel rises in uric acid levels and chronic inflammation, which is often measured by the amount of C-reactive protein in the blood. So CRP is one of the highly sensitive CRP, HSCRP is used as a marker for inflammation, as is ESR, but basically, we know that uric acid levels and CRP share this relationship. Elevated uric acid directly correlates with the presence of elevated CRP, as well as other inflammatory cytokines. Other studies have confirmed these findings showing that uric acid levels mirror levels of systemic inflammation and can actually serve not only as a surrogate marker of inflammation, which I just said, but it can actually act as an amplifier of that inflammation as well. So again, I'm just reiterating the fact that uric acid can be used as a marker, but it can also augment the inflammation, systemic inflammation that's going on in your body. And to move forward, I'm going to be discussing how uric acid is really implicated in uh, insulin resistance and diabetes. So in terms of diabetes, one of the explanations for the relationship between elevated uric acid and insulin resistance, which again is a core factor for type 2 diabetes and obesity, seems to be the damage to the lining of the blood vessels. This is called the endothelium. So your, your blood vessels are aligned with this endothelial layer, and the endothelium is important for m- m- many functions. One of them is the production of nitric oxide. So uric acid decreases the nitric oxide production and function in your endothelium. Nitric oxide is considered one of the most powerful regulators of mo- regulatory molecules of the cardiovascular system, but it's also important for insulin function because another important role of blood vessels is to facilitate insulin's move, uh, facilitate insulin's move from the bloodstream into the cells, or the, the movement of glucose from the bloodstream into the cells, primarily the muscle cells, where it allows glucose to enter and make glycogen. We also get a, from the decreased amount of nitric oxide, we also get a decreased relaxation of our blood vessels. So we know nitric oxide is this potent vasodilator, and when we don't when we don't get relaxation of our blood vessels, we get decreased blood flow to our organs, and this causes hypertension. So again, starting from the beginning, we commute we intake a lot of fructose, purines, alcohol. It'll raise our uric acid, 
By raising uric acid, we lower nitric oxide levels. With decreased nitric oxide levels, we see the pattern of insulin resistance, hypertension, and reduced blood flow to our organs. This is again is why it's very important to keep your uric acid levels low. Here's another critical point. Uric acid suppresses autophagy and diminishes the anti-inflammatory capacity of our cells. Put another way, uric acid prevents your cells from clearing out dangerous clutter and calming down inflammatory reactions. So we know we have these zombie cells, these senescent cells that are wreaking havoc on our body. And it's good to get rid of these zombie cells through the process of autophagy. Uric acid actually suppresses the process of autophagy. And when autophagy becomes suppressed, we're increasing the amount of cells that are secreting inflammatory cytokines. So again, it's, it's vitally important to keep your uric acid levels low. And now that I've kind of done a broad overview of uric acid and its implication in various diseases, we need to take a look back in time and talk about the survival of the fattest, how prehistoric apes hardwired us with the fat gene. So I mentioned briefly how we sort of lost this uricase enzyme throughout history because uric acid was actually advantageous to us when we were hunting for animals, starving, and had low blood pressure. So we actually needed uric acid in those cases. But as it turns out, in the times of plenty, you know, like nowadays when food is highly available to us, uric acid is actually a detriment to us. There was this thrifty gene hypothesis that was designed by a geneticist James Neal in 1962. According to his theory, which is now established, the genes that predispose a person to diabetes, like thrifty genes, were historically advantageous. They are what turned on the fat switch to help one fatten us quickly when food was available, since long stretches of food scarcity were an inevitable part of life back then. But once modern society transformed our access to food, the thrifty genes, while still active, were no longer needed, essentially preparing us for a famine that these, that these days really never materialize. We're never really in a famine anymore. We have so much abundance of food. So what was good for us back then, these thrifty genes, are actually harming us nowadays. Our dietary habits took a devastating turn for the worst between 1970 and 1990, when the consumption of high-fructose corn syrup ballooned more than 1,000%, an increase that far exceeded the changes in intake of any other ingredient or food group. This surge of high-fructose corn syrup has paralleled the rise in obesity, and other conditions aggravated by high uric acid. Again, it goes back to this thrifty gene hypothesis. Now, go back to our ancestors real quick. What was their secret to survival? They had a unique ability to generate high levels of body fat, as well as preserve and store that body fat, creating reservoir of calorie, caloric energy you know, during long periods of food, food insecurity. Indeed, it was really the survival of the fattest. Those who could store as much fat as possible back then were the ones who survived. Those who, those who are you know, thriving today came from these ancestors who really were just able to store fat and, keep our, again, keep our blood pressure normal. Again, it's really achieved by this uricase, uh, getting rid of this uricase enzyme, which I kind of talked about in, in uh, you know, 15 minutes ago. So this, this uricase defect benefit, benefited our ancestors 
not only because it padded their bones with much-needed fat for survival, but also because of the increase in blood pressure that occurred with the elevated uric acid further helped them endure periods of dehydration and salt scarcity. Remember uric acid, how I talked about how it affects our kidneys and it causes salt retention? Well, this was actually a good thing back in you know, 20,000 years ago when we were all dehydrated and didn't have any salt. Our ancestors turned fruit sugar into fat and through the actions of uric acid, simultaneously bumped the blood pressure to keep it normalized. In fact, the metabolism of fructose also drives the production of vasopressin, otherwise known as ADH or antidiuretic hormone. This is the very hormone in our body that is used to boost blood pressure and help keep kidneys help the kidneys really retain the water. As summed up nicely in this quote from the Journal of Internal Medicine in 2020, one of the primary functions of fructose is to conserve water by stimulating vasopressin, which reduces water loss via the kidney, while also simultaneously while also stimulating fat and glycogen production as a source of metabolic water. What's more, consuming fructose may also increase thirst, which act, acts as yet another mechanism to stimulate an increase in precious water content. So we are holding up to salt, we are secreting vasopressin, we're consuming more water, and this is all helping us keep us hydrated in times of dehydration. The next section is about from fructose to fitness. What's more commonly understood is the fact that fructose is particularly harmful because of its impact in our mitochondria. Too much fructose impairs energy production in the mitochondria, and this alone leads to energy storage. Translation, more fat. So more energy, more fat from this mitochondrial dysfunction, which I'll talk about in just a second. Going back to some numbers, the average American consumes 17 teaspoons or 71.14 grams every day of added sugar. That translates into around 57 pounds of added sugar each year per person, much of which comes from the highly processed form of fructose derived from high fructose corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup, HFCS, gained popularity again in this 1970s time frame when the price of regular sugar was high while corn prices were low because of government subsidies. While fructose doesn't have an immediate impact on blood sugar or insulin, make no mistake, it's a long-term dangerous effect on these measurements, and many other markers of metabolic health are, are profound. And in upcoming episodes, I discuss how consuming fructose is associated with impaired glucose tolerance, insulin resistance, high blood fat, and hypertension. So make sure to tune into future episodes on more details. Again, this is just a kind of a brief introduction into uric acid and how it's really being implicated in many different diseases. I'm going to be moving forward. I talked about how uric acid is related to inflammation. He also has this chart here showing how uric acid is actually related to BMI. There is this, if you look at the chart here, there is a direct correlation between BMI and uric acid as well as uric acid and waist circumference. But for now, I'm going to be discussing storing fat versus burning fat. So I mentioned uric acid is really needed for storing fat. This was advantageous to us. And this is this is where we sort of get into the science a little bit. And I discuss A and B kinase. <laughs> if you've listened to any of my pre- previous podcasts, like the circadian code or the diabetes code or lifespan or age later, I discuss A and B kinase extensively. It's essentially this 
biologists really consider AMP kinase, kinase as this anti-aging enzyme. And when it's activated, it does a lot of different, different functions. And one of those functions is to burn fat, so increase fatty acid oxidation. It's also needed for like cellular house cleaning. It's needed for upregulation of glute transporters. It does a lot of like beneficial stuff to your body. Your metabolism shifts from storing fat to burning fat when you're in this AMP kinase mode. But AMP kinase also has this evil twin, not mTOR, but also AMPD2, which I haven't talked about. So AMPD2 is short for adenosine monophosphate deaminase 2. This is also an, the enzyme that has an opposite effect of AMP kinase. This is actually reducing the burning of fat increasing its and increasing its storage of fat. High levels of uric acid push activation of AMPDT2 and reduce or silence AMP kinase. So it has this dual effect. We are decreasing the amount of AMP kinase, fat burning, and increasing the amount of AMPD2, fat storing. In a similar study, researchers found that when rats were given sucrose, a source of fructose, the animals developed fatty liver, as one might expect. But if AMP kinase was activated by giving these rats the drug metformin, fat accumulation in the liver did not occur. So we know the main mechanism of metformin is through activation of AMP kinase. We get AMP kinase activation, we are burning fat. When these rats were given sucrose and developed fatty liver, this was actually reversible by giving them metformin. And again, if you want to listen about metformin, in all my previous podcasts, I definitely mentioned it, so feel free to listen to any of those. Again, uric this is the big takeaway. Uric acid determines which pathway is taken, either for producing fat or burning fat. And I'm going to go ahead and let's see what else is here. I'm going to go ahead and do one last section about the fallacy of fructose. This is just going to be a quick summary about um high fructose corn syrup, and some of the myths that we have. So pure glucose and fructose are monosaccharides. These are the simplest sugars, whereas sucrose, the white granulated stuff on your known as table sugar, is a combination of glucose and fructose, thereby making it a disaccharide. Fructose is naturally found in fruit and honey, as well as in agave and many other vegetables, including broccoli, artichoke, asparagus, and okra. But rarely do we ever overdose on pure fructose from natural sources. Like these whole and processed foods contain fructose only in small amounts, and that fructose is absorbed very slowly because of the presence of fiber. So by and large, consuming these foods doesn't really increase your uric acid level. So people think, oh, I'm consuming so much fructose and stuff from 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 honey and from fruits and vegetables, it's it's not it's not going to happen. You're not going to get fat from eating all that stuff. What you will get fat from is from drinking liquid fructose in the form of fruit juice or other sweetened beverages. And again, this does these sweetened beverages don't have the fiber that these fruits and vegetables have. So we're really it's it's all about storing the fat. It's important to make this distinction again. In one, one meta, in one large meta-analysis done with more than 154,000 people in the British Journal of Medicine in 2019, they demonstrated a relationship between the consumption of sugar-sweetened beverages and both elevation of uric acid and gout. It's important to note that 
there was no association between whole fruit intake and gout. This will factor into many dietary recommendations that he has later on. Contrary to what Bighorn will tell you, fructose and glucose are not siblings with equal biological effect. Fructose is more like glucose's evil twin. When you eat glucose, your body uses it to produce energy. But when you eat fructose, it triggers changes in the body that favor the storage of energy in the form of fat. Put simply, glucose is the sugar involved in energy production. Fructose is the sugar involved in energy storage. So if they're not, you know, equal biological effects, they have this counterpart, this um, kind of like good, good and bad. You know, glucose is good in the terms of it's giving us energy, but fructose is bad because it's called it's causing us to store energy. And to make matters worse, even though structurally fructose and glucose look almost identical, when glucose is metabolized by the enzyme glucokinase, the initial step in the process is carefully regulated, and the levels of the body's most critical energy molecule, ATP, are tightly maintained in the cell. This is not the case when it comes to fructose. When fructose is consumed, it is quickly absorbed into the bloodstream and moves straight to the liver to get metabolized. Within liver cells, the enzyme fructokinase begins to work, and it also consumes ATP. So when fructose, to get the fructose into the cell, we need to phosphorylate it, and the enzyme that helps do that is fructokinase. But in order for fructokinase to work, we need to donate a phosphate group to the fructose, and this, has, this actually causes a loss of energy. So did you kind of catch this crucial fact that because of this process, because this process uses ATP, it means that fructose metabolites, metabolism depletes energy resources. Rather than help generate precious energy, it is actually stealing energy. Meanwhile, the downstream effects of fructose highway robbery of ATP is not only causing mitochondrial dysfunction, but also rapidly increasing the uric acid in our bloodstream. So I mentioned quickly how uric acid is implicated in many things. One of them is mitochondrial dysfunction. The reason is, is because not only are you increasing uric acid, but you're also using up ATP, which comes from your mitochondria, because you need it to phosphorylate fructose to get into the cell for it to be metabolized in the liver. So I hope that made sense. And a lot goes on in the liver when fructose arrives for its metabolism. In addition to depleting energy, it also triggers lipogenesis or de novo lipogenesis. This is the process of really producing this is the pro- this is how produces like the liver fat and you know this mainly in the form of like triglycerides as well so triglycerides are a major risk factor for cardiovascular events like heart attacks as well as coronary artery disease, artery disease but this is the fundamental takeaway the accumulation of fat in the liver cells itself wreaks havoc because it directly compromises the ability of insulin to do its job and store glucose moreover the gener- the generation of Uric acid from fructose metabolism also causes oxidative stress to the pancreatic islets, which are the small islet cells in the pancreas that produce uh, insulin. So indirectly, this is leading to insulin resistance. The high amount of uric acid indirectly leading to insulin resistance. And this was a lot of information, and I kind of talked about how uric acid really is implicated in a lot of different diseases, but... 
just remember that uric acid beneficial to us when we were you know rummaging rummaging for food but nowadays very detrimental to us it's causing hypertension it's causing diabetes and insulin resistance it's creating inflammation and oxidative stress it's not a good thing and next episode i will go into more detail about all this stuff but i hope you learned something about uric acid and where it comes from and i hope you tune in next episode where we discuss more about uric acid so thank you for listening